Tonight we're going to be introducing the next and last section of our biblical parenting uh, information. And this is if people want two pages. This is if they want front and back like before. Some of them are taking more notes than I could do. We have looked at growing in wisdom, growing in stature, growing in favor with God, and now we are going to start growing in favor with men in this study. So we're going to um, be looking at growing in favor with men. And when we get into this category, we're talking about social development uh, in the eyes of men, and that takes on a lot of different categories, just to give you a feeling for some of those categories we're going to be talking about. This goes into learning proper manners. Yeah, even that. Of what is, how should I behave in a public setting? And we're going to talk about just how young you can start to instruct them in that. And of course, being a pastor, I'm going to tell you how young you can start to really instruct them in sitting still in church. And going through that process, we're going to talk about that as well. Um, as one of the social settings your children should be uh, well prepared for and disciplined in and, and developing. But we're going to be looking in all of those area of manners. And manners change by culture a little bit, don't they? Um, so in India, uh, when we went and I was talking to uh, little Praveen when he was very young and he came up, and the first thing he did was he folded his hands in front of me and stood there like this. Now, in our culture, that is a, sending a message of defiance. Just try to tell me something. In the Indian culture, that means I will not be doing anything with my hands or myself, and I'll simply listen to you. It is an act of submission and of saying, I'm, you have my full attention. So that's very different, isn't it? And so we recognize that there is a cultural element to manners. And so um, I don't know if it's just urban legend or what, but I grew up and uh, apparently in some cultures it is considered a compliment to your hostess to uh, give out a good belch at the end of a meal. I was taught that. And, uh, but when I give out a good belch at the end of a meal, my mom smacked me. So um, I learned pretty quick that that wasn't an appropriate response in my culture. And so um, we always, I only did that when my wife wasn't there, you know, so the kids would all get grossed out, but, um, and now it's the grandkids, and they're laughing, oh, but um, I don't ever do that when my wife's there, so, because I'm a gentleman when she's there. <laughs> I don't know why, but one of those things. No, not the rest of the time, no, just when she's around. Because um, you only have to be a gentleman when you're around gentlewomen, right? Ladies, so. But uh, we, we recognize that there is a social element when we get into the favor of men that what men anticipate and look for changes from various cultures. And so um, we have here in this community particularly a great influx of cultures. And so, uh, and, and that's really not only here, but uh, it's starting to be in other places, but it's particularly here in this country, but really in this state. And so uh, when you have uh, people coming in from different cultures with different expectations, it's very easy to be offensive to each other. And I learned very quickly that with, uh, when, I, when you have a Hispanic, one raised in a Hispanic culture, that you don't come in without shaking hands with everyone in the room. 
and so you make sure you shake everybody's hand, and it's hard to do when they come in late, but you wanna, they want to make sure to shake hands with everybody because that's good manners. It's appropriate. And so uh, we might not always appreciate that. And so we're going to talk about the whole idea of developing these things and doing it from a biblical perspective. And biblically, we're going to be really looking at how do we honor authorities and honoring um, those around us and esteeming others better than ourselves. I'm going to treat people not only according to the golden rule, and we're going to talk about the golden rule a lot over the course of this section, of, of do unto others as you would have others do unto you. We're going to talk about that, but also the Philippians, that we esteem others better than ourselves, that that affects our relationship with people, how we treat people. Not only other believers, not only family members, but even the, the world at large. And so we're going to be discussing that facet um, it also involves appearance. What is your appearance like? And I'm going to give you a little, little taste of that tonight. But um, it, it involves, uh, because really your appearance isn't for your sake. You do understand that. Your dress, your, your face, even your hygiene is really for everybody else's sake. <laughs> it's a social aspect of who you are. And so we dress appropriately. We we appear appropriate because we recognize that um, I'm not looking at myself, I'm not having to deal with this, these things, it's everyone else, and so I'm doing this for the benefit of others. And so my apparel uh, is to communicate, it communicates things to other people, it communicates whether I am there to work or whether I am there to, um, to show off, if I'm trying to show off and make a selfish statement, if I'm there to worship, if I'm there to be serious, or if I'm taking this lightly, if I care for them and uh, enough to say I'll dress modestly so that because if I'm esteeming others better than myself, then modesty should be paramount in my apparel. And so we're going to talk about appearances. Appearances are for other people. How do I appear? And, and even um, in the hygiene area, uh, obviously it's better for your health to be a clean person. There's no doubt about that. Um, but it is very easy to get accustomed to your own smell. Do you ever know, and some of that is just because of you've gotten acclimated to it, um, but some of it is because some of your activities, like a smoker has already damaged their, their sense of smell in much respect, and so they can't even smell the fact that they smell like smoke or marijuana or whatever. Uh, they just don't even smell. In fact, I was in a church service once uh, as a, seminary student and a man came in who had been working on his car all day and didn't realize how powerfully he smelled of gasoline and sat behind my sister-in-law <laughs> Betty and she jumped up and said I smell gasoline <laughs> and, and it was very potent uh, but it, she was one of the closest ones. He didn't smell it because he'd been working on it all day. He just re didn't realize that he reeked of gasoline from working on his car all afternoon. And so um, we're going to talk about the necessity of that, that we're really attentive to hygiene for the benefit of other people. There are health factors for you personally for that, of being clean. But when we talk about appearance and not only visual, um, but, but your olfactory appearance and things like that, we're going to talk about the, be, those things, that that's part of growing in favor with men. That's a social thing. 
correct? And so we're going to talk about the, the social aspects of that and developing those in our children. And then, of course, we get into social behavior and interaction. How do I interact with people? How do I speak and communicate, engage with people that are my peers? And how does that vary from those who aren't my peers, who are either above me or below me in, in, that, ref, in that respect of those who are hiring me in authority, those that might be lowering me in authority, that I have exercise authority over? Is it just because I'm in higher authority that I can maltreat them or speak down to them? Well, that's not a biblical concept at all. And so when we, we're going to talk about engaging in, in relationships, and yes, it is a per parent's role to um, develop their children to engage in mature relationships, including how do I talk to people? What is, how, how do we converse? And that is a parental responsibility. Now, most parents think, well, I'm going to teach my children how to socialize, and this is one of the arguments against homeschooling, uh, my, my children need to learn to socialize, and so i got to send them to a public school to learn how to socialize. And I'm going to speak very adamantly against that because that's a bunch of hooey. Um, because they're getting thrown into a community with a bunch of other children their age who also don't know how to socialize, and all you're going to have is Lord of the Flies all over again. All right, if you don't know what Lord of Flies is, well, you might want to count your blessings and don't look it up on anywhere. Um, but the whole idea is that we uh, have in our nature a non-social disease, okay? We are selfish. We have pride. We look out for our own interests. That's what's naturally in your child. You take your child out of your home, throw them with a bunch of other children who are also equally selfish, and then let them duke it out until we figure out the social order that they have in their little society, and it will always, always, always be broken. I've actually had Christian parents tell me, we just got to let the kids figure out who's in charge. And so we don't exert any influence in the nursery. And I'm like, no, I decide who's in charge. It's me, because I'm the nursery Sunday school teacher. All right? It's not whoever's biggest and whoever's most coordinated at a certain age or whoever's more devious. No, it's, it's, that's not, that, that, that hands-off idea of socialization is, is completely uh, unbiblical because it denies the fact that they are always going to come down to a very base element of, of might makes right, and that is not a biblical principle at all. So we're going to talk about socialization in terms of relationships with people, of communication, how do I treat my peers versus that. So all that comes into play under this category. And if you don't think you can accomplish that between your home and your church, you are sadly mistaken. And I'm going to be referencing my kids probably a little bit, uh, quite a bit during this period of time because I was told that I didn't socialize my kids well. Okay, they, But yet they are able to engage in conversation with adults using real sentences and words um, because that's what we demanded of them in our home is that you're going to engage. And so, um, you know, when I see other socially stunted children who went all through public school and can't carry on a, 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 a conversation of any value, uh, for more than two or three minutes, and hey, hey, what are you doing? Hey, I'm, I'm, hey, 
you know, and that's about the extent of what they get and how far they get, then we got a problem. They got a social issue. They are not trained to grow in favor with men. And so men should be able to look at it. And of course, we have a great example of Jesus Christ as a 12-year-old. What's he doing? He's in the temple engaging. He's not teaching them. What's he doing? He's there asking very powerful and pertinent questions of the religious leadership. He is there taking the role of a student as a learner, all right? And so we want kids in classrooms to be students, learners, whether they're home, charter school, whatever. Um, well, one of the great ways to engage that is through Q&A. Um, and that's one of the reasons I've tried, I always ask people, you have questions for me. I like to have those nights where I have no content uh, prepared. I'm going to come here and you ask me whatever questions on your heart and mind. Um, because it's a great learning mechanism. It's one of the best ways to learn. And Jesus Christ is there and he is engaging them and they are amazed at his questions and his demeanor. And so we need to communicate that to our children, that you need to not learn how to talk like another second grader. I want you to learn to talk with adults. Because um, you always, if, if, you, if you don't press them upward, they are going to stay downward uh, in every area of their life, and that includes socially. We always try to socially move them to maturity, not let them grovel in immaturity because they will never pull themselves up out of that by themselves. They will always need help. Now, do some children get sick of that and say, I want to do better? Yes, but what do they do? They go looking for help. And so you always have the uh, young, who, who's the gal, my fair lady? Um, Eliza Doolittle, okay? Is that her last name, Doolittle? Um, Eliza, and she wants to improve herself, and, but she doesn't have the skill set. She doesn't have the knowledge. She has to go to someone who does have that capacity. And so that's where your children are at. They need someone to pull them out of this infantileness in their relationships to maturity. And you don't do that by you going down to them. You do not see me talking to even your infants in goo-goo-ga-gas. I don't do that. I might make weird noises to them, there's no doubt about that, but I speak to them in complete sentences, and I, and I desire to increase their vocabulary, and they will respond to that. That's how you even teach even a very, very young one, and that's why you read to even infants. You might say, well, they're just, they can't even hardly look at the pictures, they're like six months old. Well, you read to them, it increases their vocabulary, their learning language the entire time. And we want to keep that up all the way through their life, that we are engaging them to more and more mature conversation. And we're going to talk about content driving that, and I think the scriptures are the best content we could use to bring, pull them up out of the mire of immature relationships. So there's that facet. There's another facet of growing in favor with men. And um, that is of your uh, things like keeping your word. Being a man of your word or a woman of your word, that you are reliable. There's a, men are looking for this. Who can I trust? Can I trust you to be a good friend? Remember, friendship is a social element. Do your children know how to be a good friend, choose a good friend? So friendship 
is part of that. We're going to be looking at, at some really good friends in the Bible, Jonathan and David. We're going to be going to David a lot in this section um, because he had some very, he had the whole spectrum of relationships, uh, both failures and successes in his life. Uh, we're going to look at one of his failures here. Well, maybe you think it's a success because of what he did. And we're going to try to get, give us as a leaping off point. And so God's Word talks about all these things. What about your friends? What about your relationship with your enemies? Uh, how do you treat them? How do you treat family members, even those who aren't believers? How do you treat church members who are in sin? You see, all of these are very mature social functions that we are called to that need to be implemented in our life that cannot be confined to how you feel about it. If your feelings about people or activities drive your social interactions, then, then you are going to be an untrustworthy, fickle person that people aren't going to be able to engage in mature, lasting relationships. That's one of the reasons marriages don't last, is because we don't understand what it means to have a mature relationship that goes through things, not runs away from things. We go through things together. And that means sometimes it's hard, and many times it's hardships, it's difficulties. And whether they drive us apart or drive us together really depends upon how we have developed ourselves socially. Do I understand what that entails? And so we're going to talk about developing good friendships, um, how we treat acquaintances, how we treat coworkers, and distinguishing between them. And of course, the ultimate social development is to develop into, and family, by the way, is also a social unit. So we're going to talk about familial relationships between siblings, between uh, uh, parents and their children, and things like that. And then those that are outside of your immediate household that are family members as well, um, that, that uh, distinguishing between that. So we want to talk about all of those. They can't be driven by your likes and dislikes because there's too much at stake here. So we want to talk about growing in favor with men and envelops all of these things. And you can help your child so much by having an a understanding of your role in developing them socially. And that uh, is going to take on a lot of different things. And so... Um, one of the things that was very much sought after, usually by the wealthy, the upper class, back, uh, say, in uh, Victorian and Renaissance period, is that you, all young adults were to be well-rounded. How many heard that term? You should be a well-rounded adult. What does that mean? Yeah, you should be able to engage people on a whole wide range of things in life. And so you should know how to read music and appreciate real music. And so, yes, I took my kids to the symphony. I take them to, to the Nutcracker. I want to introduce them to, to music on that level. Um, do I expect them to all become concert virtuosos? No, I, I want to expose them to that. And if they want to pursue music in their life, that that's an avenue open. But, but if they pursue it to the, to the neglect of everything else, they are not well-rounded. Uh, unfortunately, our society today does not appreciate well-roundedness. Why? Because we have put 
up on pedestals those that have one single skill set to the nth degree. Okay? And so if you can play golf better than everybody else, you can make millions and hundreds of millions, right? If you can put a little ball into a hoop, you can make a lot, no matter whether you're capable of anything else in your life. If you can get on the screen and pretend to be someone else, really, you, you can make, we, we, have, we are enamored with specialists who give their entire life to this one pursuit. And we don't appreciate well-roundedness. There used to be a term for certain kinds of workers. I am a jack-of-all-trades. Now, a jack-of-all-trades, how many of you heard that phrase? Okay, most of you, good. A jack-of-all-trades is someone that is not expert, professional, maybe at any one, but he is capable at many, many trades to do it. And so he can work on his car, he can build something, he can play with electronics, he can, he can do a little bit of everything. He could do some plumbing if necessary, even if he hates it. Okay, that's, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> I can do it if I have to, but it's not going to be pretty and it's, I'm not going to enjoy it at all. Um, and the same thing with mechanics. I'm I, I, capable, but not excited about it. And so my dad exposed me. He made me help him break down an entire engine all the way to the block at the block and build it back together. So I had to do that as a young man. I, I didn't enjoy it then. I wouldn't enjoy it now. Um, and, but I still can do some work, and I understand how an engine works. It's not, I'm not ignorant of it, and unfortunately, I probably haven't transferred that knowledge because I just don't enjoy it to my kids. They would have had to learn that from someone else, um, but it's that whole idea of well-roundness means I know how to, I know culture, so-called. I understand art, music, and these refined areas, but I also understand um, how to get dirty and work hard and sweat and uh, what it means to dig a ditch and what it means to build a house. I know how to pick up God's word and study it with sincerity and, and, and integrity, um, and I know how to engage in all these various pursuits. And so I encourage my children to do that. And so I, and I want them to see me do a variety of things and be unafraid to learn new things. And so I tell people I still learn new things. And so, you know, I've tried welding and, you know, Dick Fry was trying to teach me how to weld and, and boy, it was ugly, but it's still there. The gate is still together. So that's a good thing um, that I welded. And so he taught me how to do that. And, and, I've learned what it's called, it's called popcorn welding, because it's my style, okay, <laughs> which means I'm not very good at it. But then I found out that I'm better than most Haitians at welding, so <laughs> even the guy that I paid to do welding is like, you got to do better than that. Uh, I know that much. And so we, we want to learn all these skill sets to be well-rounded and be able to walk. So I can walk into a room with artsy people, and I can engage them because I know who Monet is, and I know what is right, I know who Rembrandt is, and I know who I like and don't like. I know who Mozart is and these others, and I know who I like and don't like. And so, um, and I know why, okay? And so um, I've been to, the, to, to Amsterdam. I've been to the Rembrandt, and, and people are like, you like Rembrandt? I was like, yeah. Uh, I said, well, he's kind of dark. I was like, yeah, I know. But, you know, the religious themes there and are, so I appreciate, and, and, and so I, I'm more of a Rembrandt guy than some of the other guys, and I'm definitely not the guy that cut off his ear. 
her name escapes me, I'll get it here in a little bit. But we should be able to be conversant, at least in all of these different areas, on a social level. And so, but I can also get in down and talk to somebody who has to go and labor with his hands all day. I am not disassociated from that. I can still talk to him, and I can, I can talk sports with people, and we should be exposed to that. Do I want to live for sports? No, I never did that. But I, I enjoy them, and I am somewhat a student of them, and I make fun of some of them for very particular reasons. So I always talk about, you know, you have to be a really good actor if you're going to be able to play soccer professionally. You've got to be able to fall down and die um, until the magic water comes out and splashes on your foot, and then suddenly you're better. Um, you got to be able to do that, and that's one of the reasons I'm not thrilled with soccer. But it's, I can't go to other countries and talk like that because soccer's the national sport, you know, except for Great Britain and India. And I went to India, and, and I know just this little bit about cricket, but boy, it's a big deal in India. And just being able to converse a little bit about cricket, and then I found out that most cricket players don't really know how to play cricket either because the rules are weird. It's just, I, I mean, it's... You, the rule book is like, goes on and on forever. But um, just to know a little bit about it. And so that's that well-roundedness. That's part of the social development of your child. Can you see how important your role is as a parent in forming well-rounded adults? You need to expose them to things that maybe you weren't even exposed to as a child. Maybe you've grown up your whole life and never gone to a ballet Maybe you have never uh, gone out there and, and gone to a swim meet or to a track meet or, to, or played baseball. Um, but you're going to have to take your kid and teach them how to play baseball. And I'm amazed when I see the young people come to your World Life Clubs how little they know about organized sports at all. They can't play kickball. They don't know the rules. They're 8 years old, 9 years old, 10 years old and don't know the rules of kickball. You kick the ball and you run to the base. Really? Okay, we're not developing well-rounded children, and then we're not going to have well-rounded adults. And so, and this is very important when it comes to the development of their minds as well. We want them to be well-rounded, and that means they have to draw from all these different areas, and it really helps their critical thinking skills, their decision-making process to realize that there is a bigger world out there than their immediate surroundings, and that's why I'm a big proponent of exposing children to cross-cultural experiences, especially in the preteen and teen years. And that's why I take my children to India, to Peru, and, and let them go off to Minnesota and take them to Israel and, and all these things. Why? Um, because it would selfishly, it would be easier for me not to take them with me, um, but they need the exposure to see that this, you are in a very privileged position here and, and you want to be exposed to what's out there. And so we want them to see, not just to have a list of experiences, we want them to be a well-rounded individual. And so um, it's not all about the internet and, and entertainment, that they need to learn how to work hard, they need to how, so they can engage in a variety of different people on a variety of different levels and interests. And if you want to be a social, uh, socially capable person, you've got to be able to converse with people on a wide variety of topics, all the way from uh, the difference between 
two by six construction and two by four construction and what's the benefits of stucco versus siding and steel and things like that all the way over here to um, uh, questions of the arts to questions of science and to be able to engage people in that and that that's um, in the collegiate area is called liberal arts but but we don't want to trust them to develop that uh, we should be developing that. And so we should be able to engage the world on all those different levels. And that requires something out of parents to expose children to more than just your personal interests. And so, and, and the same thing with animals and, and all of that. And so I had a privileged upbringing. It wasn't easy, but it was privileged. Here's what my privilege was. I was an Air Force brat which exposed me to a lot of things all over the country. And so we would live in, in Orange, uh, on the Tangerine Lane, Orange City, in Orange County, California. All right, that's about as L.A.-ish as you can get, and that's where I, I lived for a while. And so um, West Coast, and then I moved from there to a farm community in Minnesota. Boy, talk about culture shock go from L.A. to Austin, Minnesota, uh, really Grand Meadow, Minnesota, and, and be from inner city, or what well, really is kind of suburb, Orange is a suburb, but it was big city, to farm, where you got to hike. I, I had to hike farther to catch the bus than, than most of the stores around us in Orange. And so, um, just to get to the bus every morning, and the, the shock of that, and so... I had the privilege because my family moved around every couple of years that I got exposed to a lot of different culture growing up. Do I recommend that for your family? Is it good? Well, it's not very stable, but you can do those kinds of things without having to uproot your family. But I just want to encourage you at the, at the benefit that that has for your children to be exposed to some other things. Now, what do, don't we want them exposed to is sin and the worldliness. So when I'm exposed to the variety, with, but we don't want to say we're approving of this activity that's sin. And so I'm not going to expose them to homosexuality. I'm not going to expose them to these uh, gender confusion junk. I don't want them exposed to that. And so that's what we're talking about. Let's get an example out of God's Word. Shall we turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel? See how, how important this kind of activity, social activity, can do for you. Okay? This is a weird example, I know, but it's fun. And, uh, and it shows the, you know, David's activity. So in uh, 1 Samuel 21, uh, is David a well-rounded guy? He's a shepherd, he's killed lions and bears, and he writes music. We don't associate those two. We don't associate music with he-men that go out there and kill animals to protect other animals. We don't associate those two um, because too many of our musicians in our era are mamby-pambies, okay? But that is not a biblical view, and it's not a manly view. And so we don't associate music with manliness. Maybe country-western guys, maybe a little bit. We, we let the country-western guys be men with music. Um, but David was a man with music, okay? He's a music man, uh, a man's man killed a bear, killed a lion. 
All right, kill Goliath. Okay, that's the guy we're talking about. Not as an adult, but as a young adult. Okay, he's going to become an accomplished soldier. In fact, that's going to be in our text here. Um, let's go to verse 10. It says, Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now let's just stop and review where he's at. He's been anointed king of Israel, but he hasn't become king because Saul, the present king, is still alive, but Saul is hunting him. And this guy is going to do what is pleasing to God. So not only is he a music, not only is he a shepherd and a soldier, but he is also sense enough to honor his king and to be godly about it. Here is a godly, powerful, musical man. All right? This is who he is. We're going to find out how humble he is here. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Do they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? And, of course, David was there. It says, verse 12, Now David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. He's a realist. He knows he's in trouble. He has gone to them because he's being hunted by Saul, but now he's also realized that he has historically been their enemy, and he's the guy that killed Goliath of Gath. Okay? <laughs> and so um, the Philistine, Gath is in Philistia. And so we come to verse 13. So he changed his behavior before them. pretended madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate, let his saliva fall down on his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, look, you see the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of a madman that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And so then, verse 20, 22, verse 1, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Uh, so when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. This is a social environment, and David is very keen to the circumstances, and he's like, this isn't going so good. They know who I am, and they're reminding the king of who I am, and this could not go good for me, and I want you to see the power of social behavior or antisocial behavior in this instance. So he starts behaving like an undesirable person. A madman. What would a madman look like? They scratch when they, for no reason. They go around, they let their drool go into their beard. Uh, whether he's eating or drinking, just, you know, just has no hygiene. Look at the hygiene element there. It says that he's going <laughs> to, he, he, he pretended madness in their hands, scratched on the doors. Let's lie, and, and, uh, he's, he changed his behavior. He was in a setting where he realized that to get out of this, he's going to have to feign some very antisocial behaviors. And those antisocial behaviors make him not wanting to, people don't want him around. Get out of here. We don't want you around here. And, and it, it tells us something about the nature of your behavior. He gives us, by example, what is antisocial development. What does it look like? 
Well, it looks like this. It's, it's kind of people acting crazy. It's, it's not anything you want. It makes people feel uncomfortable around you. I mean, he's over there scratching the doors. <laughs> What's behind here? You know, instead of uh, sitting in his right mind. And that should bring something. So here, David realizes, I can't act in such a manner that I'm going to gain their favor positively, so the best I'm going to get out of this is to be expelled from them. Instead of them killing me for my history, I realize I've just gone mad, and I can do that by simply changing my behavior. And so if we are behaving in a manner that people don't want to be around us, um, you better have a very clear reason for that, but you can see what it does. People just don't. Why do I want you around? And we should not, in our behavior of the world, we should be righteous and right. We should be pleasing, not to the people who want us to do evil, but we should be doing right that they have no cause for condemning us. Does that mean they won't condemn us? No, but they won't have a cause for it. Because we understand the social norms and mores, and we can see that throughout the Scripture, uh, even when we go to the New Testament, uh, what happens to the man over there that's running around naked in the graveyards? Well, he's demon-possessed. He's antisocial. Satan always takes you there. What happens when he's in his right mind? He's dressed, and he sits quietly. And people are like, who is that guy? Well, that's the same guy that was running around howling at the moon in the cemeteries naked. Okay, well, that was a demon-possessed person. Now he's in his right mind. And how is that evidence? It's evidenced by being socially appropriate. And our children should know how to be socially appropriate from a very young age. They can learn this. And they are learning it. And they're learning it primarily from you. You should set an example of this to them. And it shouldn't be there's one social activity that's out there that is not at home. Now, are we more relaxed at home? Certainly. But we also recognize that there's authority in the home and out of the home. And you should treat all authority with the respect that God demands of it, knowing that he is the one who is the author of that authority. Uh, and similarly, that we are polite there should be a politeness at home. There should be a politeness out in society. If, if you are using foul language in your home, guess what? Your kids are going to go out into public and use foul language with other people. It's just going to be the norm to them. To them, this is normal, social, socially acceptable behavior. They're watching you, listening to you, and their assumption is that whatever they see you do is socially acceptable. And so it is completely, I would contend, on your shoulders to communicate to them what is pleasing to men. How do I grow in favor with men? How do I earn their favor? Well, you need to do what is socially acceptable and also righteous. And so we're going to talk about that balance point as we go through Scripture as well, that we are not going to just say, be a chameleon and, and be like the world. No, I can, is working hard socially acceptable? Well, it is to my employer, right? Does your employer want you to work hard? Yes. 
is your fellow employee necessarily wants you to work hard? Not if they don't work hard, you make them look bad. Okay, well, who are you more concerned about at work? Your fellow employee that wants to goof off and wants you to goof off with them, or your employer who is giving of their resources to you to give you a livelihood? Which one are you more concerned about? Well, I'm more concerned about, I might not be the most popular at work, but if the boss loves me because <laughs> I make them look good, because I make them money, then I've done my job. Then that's the, the socially appropriate thing to do. And so I have that discernment. But this is what we need to be communicating, and we're going to be looking through God's Word. We're going to go through our thing. We're going to start next, next Lord's Day night and uh, with uh, the same diaper, the discipline, authority, instruction, uh, provision, example, and recognizing rebellion. We're going to go through that whole thing. But I want to give this introduction of, of the gamut that we're dealing with. We're dealing with a huge section of child rearing when we come to the growing in favor with men. Uh, that is probably a lot broader than what you just thought coming in, that it would just be how to get along. So that's why um, we are going to be planning a meal probably at this point in May. Uh, I remember I'm going to be gone for four weeks, so um, I don't think I'm going to pursue this while I'm in India. I'm going to try to be Skyping in every Sunday night from India and the Philippines, which I don't know if I'm going to make the Philippines because i got to get on my flight um, out of there uh, Monday, so I don't because because I have to figure out the time change in the Philippines and in India. I'm going to be meeting with you at six six twenty here is ten till seven in the morning there. So I'm going to be trying to get on the internet and be skyping into. If I don't get here for the singing, I'll at least be here for the time to talk with you. And, but I don't think I'm going to pursue this study during that time, and so uh, we're going to move along through this the diaper of growing in favor with men, social development of your children, which you cannot neglect. And don't think that you, aren't, you are doing something for them. Uh, we need to help them to be able to engage with people and, uh, un, and have well-rounded children, and well-rounded adults that are also humbly considering others before themselves and imp implementing the so-called golden rule. Well, let's have a word of prayer. I got done two minutes early tonight. How exciting is that? So let's have a word of prayer and let you be dismissed. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us, and we thank you for uh, our children, and we recognize the responsibility we have, not only as parents, but as, as, as family, as church family to one another, to be exemplary to, one, to all the children of our church, whether they are uh, of our progeny or not, that we might uh, communicate and show them what is socially right and godly, what is acceptable and what is normative, uh, what is honoring to you, that we might show it to one another and that they might see that as an example and follow it, that we might encourage and help one another to help their speech be right, to help their um, attitudes and behaviors to be right. Lord, we know that there's social and there's antisocial behavior. We want to train our children to discern the difference, and we need your help in that. 
We also pray you might help us as we do this study, that uh, it might be a benefit for everyone involved and might keep us in your word and apply its principles to our uh, learning in this, in this category. And we praise this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. So in May, we're going to have a dinner. I don't think I finished that thought. In May, we're going to have a formal dinner. Not a potluck, a formal dinner that you will bring your children to and they will learn how to participate in a formal dinner atmosphere. You might say, can a three-year-old do that? Yes, they can. On the same level as a 20-year-old, no, but they can learn that this is formal. So they're going to dress up. They're going to come in. We try to do this sometimes with our girls where they have a little ladies' tea. They have a formal little tea sets and all that, and they dress up and come for this tea. We're going to do it with the whole church on a Sunday night as we talk about socially how do we engage in this. You might say, well, they're never going to have to encounter that in their life. You don't know that. You don't know where God's going to have them. 